Screech, Tracy says things. I'm not able to come to the phone right now because I'm screening my calls. So please leave a message and I may or may not get back to you. Depends how the anxiety and depression that are usually strangling me are feeling today. Hi, I'm Tracy and I say things. And since you probably didn't stumble here by accident, you either know me or were told by someone who knows me to listen. This is my podcast where I talk about whatever I want to because, well, I think rather highly of myself sometimes that y'all would want to listen to me ramble on about whatever. Today is an episode that I recorded four different times. This is the last try. I'm not going to edit it. This is going to be just one straight shot, one take, you know, take it or leave it kind of an episode. <clears throat> um, but it's going to be real. The first recording was really nice. It was full of information about mental health and wellness. And when I listened to it, it was so insincere and melodic. It sounded like a pamphlet put out by the Saskatchewan Health Authority just so they could say they've done something for mental health. The second recording was super dark and bitchy. It was like I, you know, tried too hard to do the exact opposite of the first recording. It was simply unpleasant. And, you know, that's not how I want to paint my life. Because that darkness is true sometimes, but not always. And that wouldn't be fair to the people who truly love me to have to sit and listen to something that was... Oh, I hate everything and everyone. Because, you know, I don't. The third try was me editing niceness into that dark version. It just sounded like crap. And then I was trying to add in some thoughts about the whole, like, Meghan Markle, Prince Harry interview that was with Oprah, like, a month ago now. And when this was all finished and I listened to that episode and tried to edit it, I got really mad at myself. You know, if I'm going to put this much effort into finding my voice and then sharing it with you, dear listeners, why would I be so fucking inauthentic, not just once, but three goddamn times? So I said, fuck it. (laughs) And I just made a list of bullet points that I wanted to make sure I shared, you know, the parts of the story that were really important and that I didn't want to leave out. And I decided just to talk to you because, you know, that's how I work best. Like you guys are real humans and you don't need to be preached at or condescended to. Being authentic and really real is important, especially today, because this is the first episode that I'm really afraid to air. This is one where I'm going to dig up some shit and air some laundry. I mean, it's all my laundry and whatever, but I'm afraid that some of you out there could use this against me. So I'm offering it up. (laughs) Yay fear. (laughs) Some listeners may remember some of these um, situations. Some of this may be brand new to you. Uh, I know there are things here today that I've actually never shared with more than one person ever. But if I'm going to be honest and have a truly honest voice, then I need to say some things. Like I mentioned before, uh, this episode is about mental health, my mental health in particular. If you have triggers about suicidal thoughts, self-harm, sexual abuse, family drama, addictions, consider this your content warning. So I briefly mentioned in episode one that I have had a bit of a roller coaster of an emotional health experience. Generally cheery for the most part. I adore being that happy friend who does what they can to make you happy, cheer you up, send you a card or a letter to say, hey, like have a fantastic day and I love you. But this all started as basically fake it till you make it. Um, More of a coping mechanism. And if I'm truly honest, sometimes it still is. I've written in a journal since I was 11. I went through these journals a few years ago. I decided that it was time for me to start to do the work to figure out who I was and what I really wanted in life. Oh, fuck. Now, I really hate the phrase, do the work. 
what the fuck does that even mean? I've always procrastinated and failed to get things completed on time, and I'll quite often find the shortcut as often as possible. So to do the work, with air quotes, just doesn't sound like fun for me. But after a lifetime of messes and repairs and more messes, I decided that it was probably time to make some big changes. I started by digging out those journals and reading them to get the sense of, like, where I was, who I was, how I got there, just to figure out, really, to help me figure out where I wanted to go. Uh, I physically burned them <laughs> after I reread them. Well, most of them. I found that it felt really freeing. Uh, it's like you're releasing the feelings, sending them away with the flames and the smoke as it rises. So, back to the beginning. I had a really decent childhood, like decent to great. Again, we weren't really well off, but we had what we needed, even what we wanted. Um, I still remember being like one of the only people I knew that had a Nintendo in like 1987-88. I loved reading. That was my jam. So living across the street from the public library was the best. I still remember to this day exactly where each book section was in that old building. I could draw you a map of its layout probably to this day. So um, because I read so much and I loved sort of disappearing into a story, I didn't hang out outside a lot. I wasn't running around with a bunch of kids. Um, I had friends enough to keep me happy. Uh, Didn't really think about it though till I hit about sixth or seventh grade, I think. And I began to realize that I was on the bottom of the social hierarchy in my school. I was uh, 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 not popular. (laughs) Now, I guess by not popular, I mean, I wasn't in the clique that had, you know, the more affluent kids, the air quotes, prettier girls, the girls that liked the boys and the boys that liked them back, you know, Um, all super laughable because my friends were pretty (laughs) and they were awesome. And you know, to this day, they still are my best friends. But for those dumb middle school reasons, I started to feel like I wasn't enough or um, I wasn't good enough. Those little seeds of self-doubt and, you know, a definite lack of self-worth were being planted around that time. I had really anxious thoughts about making and keeping friends all the time. And when I was left out of things or I was teased or made fun of, the sadness was tangible in the in those words, in those journals. By the time I hit ninth grade, the chubby kid, <laughs> I started feeling even more left out. And in our town, there weren't that many kids in each grade, so you knew everyone. And there were definitely kids that I'd call friends who were in the popular cliques. But We didn't run with the same circles. I mean, we were what you'd call school friends. You know, the kinds of friends you choose for a class project or you pair up in gym with them. They're not the friends who keep your secrets or help you figure out what your style is going to be or, you know, the people that you hang out with every week. My anxiety, God, was growing and continuing to persist. I wanted to be liked by the boys and the popular girls, but... I was always afraid of being judged and laughed at. So I kept my group of friends and I did my own thing. And as the days went on, you know, my own share of triumphs and heartaches all over the pages of these journals. But nothing shook my world quite the way as, um, here we go. Nothing shook my world quite like my assault. So he was a couple of years older than me and he was definitely air quotes popular. Um, His parents and my parents were friends and his parents were at my house for some reason. I don't really remember what. And I'm like 97% sure that it was actually his dad who said, hey, so-and-so's hanging out at our house. Why don't you go head over there? So I did. Um, We were drinking, you know, 
Um, his parents were still at my house. Um, couple drinks, but things started to get out of hand. Um, he'd never shown an interest in anything like this with me before. I mean, we were like literally only friends. And I'd, honest to God, I'd never thought of him like that either. Because if you'll remember from episode one, I was head over heels with friend zone. Um, I had those high, high hopes that friend zone and I would fall magically in love and go to university and get married and live happily ever after. Because, you know, that's how it works. Um, but this night was slowly turning from a fun distraction, hanging out with a friend, to the scariest night of my life. It was just a blur looking back of consent and then non-consent and then outright just please stop. It happened really fast. Um, I was, I was a mess. Afterwards, we left his room and we were sitting, I guess, in like the family room, you'd call it. Um, and his mom like came downstairs. I hadn't even heard them come home. Um, and she was very quickly, like she heard the bedroom door or something. I don't know. Um, and she said that I should probably head home since it was really late. She offered to drive me since there was alcohol and stuff sitting on the table. She knew we'd been drinking. I, I don't know if she knew what had happened. Looking back, I'm pretty sure that I looked like shit. I'm sure I had tear-stained cheeks and my hair was a little bit messy. And I mean, I was sitting kind of across the room from him instead of um, on the couch where there was like a bunch of blankets and stuff because we'd been watching movies and it kind of like made a cocoon <laughs> kind of, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I hope she didn't know because if she did, all I can think right now as a middle-aged woman, probably as old as she was or very close to at the time, I think if she did know, then why didn't she say anything? Why... Why would she have let me leave like that? Why didn't she say anything? The next couple of weeks in town, uh, I felt like a, pretty much like a pariah because he told people. He told the guys he worked with. He told all the people that I knew at school. And he told everyone. His version was different than mine. Mine was deny, deny, deny. Nothing happened. Because I knew my town and I knew I was going to be the shamed one and he was going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm a stud. But of course, people didn't believe me or or they chose to believe what they wanted, right? The thing that hurt the most was um, my own sister called me a whore and accused me of sleeping with a totally different guy at a house party in front of a room full of people. Like, you know, because once a whore, always a whore. Her and I have never recovered from this and other slings and barbs that we've thrown at each other. And it's a dead relationship at this point. I, I've accepted it. I've already grieved that loss. I read somewhere that you can't continue offering... Uh, sorry. <clears throat> I read somewhere that you can't continue offering olive branches to someone who's continually cutting down your tree. And that's exactly what our relationship had become. Uh, two or, God, maybe even three years ago, I wrote her a letter, offered a clean slate. I got no reply. I don't even know if she read it. But anyway, back to the story. I've lost respect of people and I'm afraid I've lost friend zone and all hope of that happily ever after. But most importantly, I've lost my self-respect. I mean, I'm a trashy whore, let's face it. That whole Madonna whore thing is a real thing. People treat guys like studs and girls like sluts. But if a guy isn't having sex with a girl, then how is he becoming a stud? You know, it's such a double standard and I'm sitting there being shamed for having sex, sex that I didn't want to have 
And he's getting high fives and getting congratulated. It's bullshit. And I know this now as a grown-ass person, but at the time, it's my fault. I shouldn't have been drinking. I should have gone home sooner. I should have yelled and screamed and made a huge scene. But I didn't. I just didn't. I was afraid that the popular guy would get mad at me. That he would say horrible things about me. That he would ruin the remainder of my high school days. Well, joke's on me because he still did. So I'm carrying this around with me. And it's heavy. It sucks. It feels awful. And I'm waiting for the people who love me and who care about me to stop. I feel like hopes for that love story are gone. And this sends that anxiety through the roof because I'm turning harder to the hydrophilic style coping, right? I become really good at being self-deprecating. I shove all my feelings down into a tiny little ball, except when I'm at home. My poor parents. I was a real asshole most days. I mean, moody teenagers are a real thing, but I remember being really, really awful to them most of the time. But, you know, journals say I keep going, as all people with trauma do, right? I graduated high school and continued living my life. Now it's about year, year and a half later, and I am living with a friend in a weird-ass house. So, okay, you got to picture this. It's a small, one-bedroom house, but somebody turned, like, a large storage room into a bedroom. So here's the weird part. I mean, people do that all the time, right? Well, this storage room was actually the laundry room. Like, it's got the water and electrical hookups for the washer and dryer. But this room is also where the entrance to the bathroom is. Yes, you had to walk into the laundry storage room, make a right, and open another door to get into the bathroom. So when I lived with this friend in this tiny house, this weird-ass room was my bedroom. So... I had no privacy, as, you know, people need to go to the bathroom, and she needed to do laundry, too. So, now that you can picture this, okay, her and I quite often had people over to the house. I mean, young people, parties. So, one night, there was just a couple people left at the house after a party, and I decided I'm going to bed. Um, a couple more people must have left. And this guy, um, I'm just going to call him a guy. I was going to give him a nickname, but it was going to give it away. So this guy comes into my room and I'm thinking, okay, whatever, this happens all the time. He's just going to the bathroom. No, instead of going right, he makes a couple of steps towards me in bed and he says, hey, like I hear you're a great lay. Okay, smooth pickup line. At this point, I'm like tired and I'm just over it. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. He laughs and he comes over and he starts pawing at me. I push him off, but he pins me like my shoulders against the bed. And he tells me no one's going to believe that I didn't want him. I yelled this time. I yelled. But this was a party and there was music playing in the other room and let's be honest, I think that my roommate was busy in her room. If you know what I mean, she might have been painting her toenails or something. So nobody heard me. Nobody came to my rescue. Thankfully, it was over really fast. As in, like, (laughs) let's make him seem like a bad... Anyway, he was right. No one was going to believe that I didn't want it. Because the next morning when I get up, my roommate gives me a big smile and says that she's real happy that I hooked up with him. Like, okay, thanks. I shook it off. And I never spoke of it or him with her again. I moved out of that house within a month.
Thankfully, he was more quiet about it than the other guy was. But now I know for a fact that I'm only good to be used. No one cares about what I need, only what I can offer. So this becomes part of my personality. Always doing things for other people to make them happy. I would pay for things, gas money for trips to the city, drinks at the bar. I'd pay to take a friend to the movies. We would throw house parties in the greenhouse. Also, people would like me. I would hook up and make out with random guys. When I moved to Saskatoon, it would only get worse. I didn't date. I was never really asked out because I don't want to go out with somebody. I did have one guy that was super sweet, but I was far too damaged to care about his feelings. And I ended up being a real bitch to him. I met him on a pub crawl. I was out with a bunch of friends and he was actually on the pub crawl with a guy that I had met years before at swim meets. We'll call the swimmer Scuba. (laughs) And his friend was, we'll call him Kay. And Kay was so sweet. And he wanted to be my boyfriend. And so I kind of toyed with him for a bit. But I was awful. And you know what? He would have made a really great boyfriend. Looking back, he did not deserve the way I treated him. I feel like a real ass still. And I have since apologized to him. And we talk on Facebook now and we're friendly. But Kay, I'm so sorry. You did not deserve to be stomped on just because I was fucked up. After I hurt him, and I know I hurt him really badly, it was eye-opening because I hated myself for it. I threw myself into drinking more, and I just turned into a really gross person. I would get mad at the great guys in my life who tried really hard week after week, weekend after weekend. Riley's, The Cooler, The Pat, Neil, Curtis, Jason, all really good friends who tried to just get me home safely. I said terrible things to them weekend after weekend because they were just trying to be good dudes, trying to be good roommates. And I was just too deep in my own misery to see the goodness in their actions. I don't even know how they convinced me to go home some nights. Deep down, I knew that I just was not this person. And just because I'd been hurt and been used... It didn't make it right to keep that kind of cycle going. At this point in time, I'm volunteering with a youth organization and one of my fellow leaders is an older woman who actually had a daughter around my age and her and I became friends. It was really weird because she was older, but because of our friendship, she convinced me to stop drinking for a bit and I got smarter about some of the choices I was making. And shockingly, I found out that uh, my anxiety would be less triggered when I wasn't drinking. She also did some volunteering um, through this uh, Saskatoon Sexual Health Center. And she suggested that I maybe see a counselor about some of the unresolved issues that I had. Uh, So I went, actually, um, for a couple of sessions. And... Uh, finally realized that, you know, date rape is still rape. I started to connect my behavior to all these unresolved feelings I had about being assaulted. And I wish I'd been able to go more. I went like three or four times, really clicked with that counselor. It was really good for me. After a couple of months uh, of this sort of newfound behavior, I was at work. And I was sent to a different store to work for a week. I was covering somebody's vacation leave. I met new people. And one of them happened to be a boy that I saw every day that week. At the end of that week, he got my phone number and he asked me out. He was the first person to actually ask me on a date in years. It wasn't just a booty call. It wasn't just a hookup in a bar. It was a real legitimate date. 
Of course, you all know my reputation. And I put out on the first date. But he legit wanted to date me. (laughs) I so wasn't used to that behavior. I was, like, knocked me over in shock when just over two months later, he proposed to me. Like, proposed marriage. And I accepted. I didn't know any better. I really liked him. In, In fact, I loved him. I did. And he was fun and we got along really well. But we didn't know each other. Looking back, there were red flags. And I don't just mean in his behavior. I mean in mine too. Don't write letters. (laughs) I wasn't concerned about those red flags though. I thought, oh, we're going to have a lifetime to figure this out. So we plan the wedding and get married really quickly, like eight months from our first date to that wedding day. One of our favorite things to do was to go to the bar and party. So starts bringing back some of my bad behavior. I still had lots of anxiety and reading through my journals around then, somebody freshly married, but I was depressed. The depression would come and go in waves. It would get better and then it would get worse. I was super excited to try and become a mom because, right, natural progression. First you get married, now you have kids. But... We had like fertility issues from the start. I had PCOS and this caused a lot of guilt on my part because, you know, it's my fault for not conceiving. So this adds to my depression. I was only working part time. So we were fighting a lot about money and his drinking and my depression. So after five years of marriage, we separated. Actually, he left me. He asked me to be out of the house in two days. I called my mom and a couple of my friends, and in a day, they had me out and living in a spare room at my childhood friend's house. I had about $35 in the bank and the items that we took from the house. That was it. So dark and twisty depression definitely settling in. Um, But I had to get a job, and I had to get my shit together, and... Fuck, I I did. It was pretty amazing looking back on how I started to focus on me and being healthy physically. I started to feel better emotionally. Looking back through the journals, I mean, the depression lessened, but anxiety was in full force. I can just tell from reading it. I was worried about everything. Was I happier? Well, I was making some pretty rash choices and... What I see now, looking back, it's it's mania. It was manic episodes, which were bookended by bouts of depression, which led me to feeling better and being a little manic again, making another risky choice, playing pretty dangerously with my well-being, and not making great decisions. I wandered into my doctor's office for some birth control because I hadn't been on it. Been married for five years and trying to have a baby. So... I had a bit of a pregnancy scare. Um, My period was late. So I went to my doctor and was asking for birth control. And she was a little judgy (laughs) and decided that I should probably start taking some medications for um, anxiety that I had talked to her about having. And I refused because I said, like, I'm not crazy. I'm just a free spirit, and yeah, I get sad sometimes, but everyone does. So she suggested if I wasn't going to take medications at this point in time, that I should try and speak to someone, do some counseling. So this time it was different. I signed up through the health region and had to pay for counseling. And I went a couple times, but it was really expensive And it just wasn't like on TV where you get to lay on a couch and talk about your childhood. So I was totally not into it. Plus, this therapist and I just didn't connect. I felt super slut-shamed by this guy. My choices were horrible and he was pointing them out to me. Now, I didn't make a third appointment. But I did take a phone call from my then-estranged husband. And after some couples counseling with his therapist we went on a date and 
Whew, surprise, I got pregnant, like shocked. So after a few months, we moved back in together and things were okay. But near the end of that pregnancy, I got really unwell. Um, my mood was not stable at all. And there were complications in the last few weeks of pregnancy. Uh, I ended up needing a scheduled cesarean section, which was not the birth that I'd wanted. Um, I was so unhappy with how that pregnancy ended. My dream of having a, quote, normal birth were dashed. You know, believe me, when you're mourning that experience that you wanted and someone tells you, well, you know, the only thing that matters is that you have a healthy baby to bring home. That doesn't make you feel better. I was definitely experiencing baby blues, but they just didn't get better. I had anxiety about taking care of this new person. I felt like everything I did was wrong. I had thoughts of self-harm nearly every day. I wanted to throw that baby away because it was better raised by wolves than by me. Um, when the baby was almost 10 months old, I threatened to kill myself. My husband called 911 and he took the pills that I had in my hand away. He blocked me from the kitchen where the knives were kept. EMS sent two police officers, not paramedics. A male and a female officer came to the house. I remember I was holding the baby and one of them tried to take her from me and I flipped out. He was ready to arrest me but she took me into the baby's room where we sat and we talked for, I don't even know how long. And um, the doctors were called, there were appointments made, um, and a postpartum nurse came to help me that night. I was finally diagnosed with postpartum depression. 10 months old, finally. I was medicated at that point in time. And again, I went to counseling. These were mandated. I went for almost a year. I honestly have a really hard time remembering the details of that baby's first few months, even almost a year, because I remember snippets and I see photos. I can recall some of the events, but I lost time and that causes me so much guilt. I am taking fairly heavy doses of the antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication for almost the next four years. And as we're preparing to send this kid to kindergarten, I started weaning myself off of those meds. This is also when I start to realize that I'm in a really unhappy relationship. We were together because of the kid. I mean... We had good times as a family, but it wasn't enough for me to want to stay. He was a good dad. He still is, but we were not a good couple. So I started to look into getting a job that I could stash money and prepare myself for a separation this time. You know, I had a child and I needed more than $35 to take care of myself and her this time. But as luck would have it, I'm making these plans and I'm working at this new job and I'm doing my best. I get pregnant. This destroyed me. I contemplated every scenario I could. I was thinking about terminating the pregnancy, but I disclosed it to him that I was pregnant. And then he told this now eight-year-old, who was over the moon excited to be a big sister. I was not over the moon. I was devastated. I couldn't see a way out now. I felt so trapped and was terrified of being in this relationship that I didn't want with a new baby that I wasn't sure I wanted either. And fuck, this made me feel even guiltier. And even more of a monster than I ever had felt before. I contemplated killing myself daily. But I would have dark thoughts like, 
okay, if I throw myself down this staircase, am I going to die or just break my leg? Because if I just break my leg and I live, I'm going to fucking hate it. Or if I drive into the river right here, will the car sink or will I just bob along? Or is that bus coming down the street fast enough to kill me if I step in front of it? Or will I just end up in the hospital? And more than once, I'd be standing in the kitchen with a knife in my hand and think, is he going to find me or is the eight-year-old going to find me? She was the glimmer of good in my life and I couldn't do that to her. So I would stuff those feelings down. In fact, one day, I remember it so vividly, I was standing in the kitchen holding a knife and... We had a little galley kitchen, like a little narrow kitchen with a fun little doorway. And I'm holding this knife and she pops around the corner and goes, hey, mom. And I dropped the knife. I totally forgotten that she was at home. That's how dark my thoughts were becoming. I just, I couldn't even remember she was there with me as I started thinking about how to slit my wrist. I went to a scheduled OBGYN appointment. It was my 20-week maternity checkup. And I can't even remember what her question was, but my doctor asked me something, probably pretty banal, and I cracked and I broke down. We spent over two hours in her office. I, I fucked up her whole afternoon of appointments. We talked about it all. I left a big old pile of verbal diarrhea in the middle of her office. She was the first person to recognize that I'd probably been fighting with mental wellness my entire life. And when I left her office, she knew that we were pretty broke. So she had dug up every free sample of prescription that she could get for me. I had... Um, an appointment with a psychologist for less than two weeks from that appointment date. So I don't know what strings she had pulled. And she had gotten me a free prenatal massage because she wanted me to try and relax that week. I'd been through a lot, she said, and I deserved a break. So she must have paid for it because I didn't. And I didn't have coverage. (laughs) So because of that appointment with my doctor that morning, I was able to open up to a few friends who weren't letting me really hide my feelings. (laughs) They suspected, and once I told them, they kept me on task. They made sure I was taking my meds, I was eating properly, I was taking care of myself and that baby. They helped me, really, have a healthy pregnancy, both physically and mentally. And when this baby girl was born, (laughs) I remember holding her in the hospital. Uh, It was just her and I. And I looked into her eyes. She was 18 hours old. And I had just gotten off the phone with my sister in Texas. Her her and her, her kids FaceTimed me that night. And they met their new cousin (laughs) over the phone. And I hung up with my sister and I looked at that little baby girl. And she was so awake and so alert. And I looked into those big eyes and I told her that we were going to get through this together. I apologized to her for being so sad that she was coming. Uh, I told her that it wasn't her fault. I promised her that I was going to keep working on my mental health. And I wasn't going to let my depression keep me from being a good mom to her or her sister anymore. I would do my best to get them into a healthy and happy home. So I started working on that again. It was after she was born that I connected with a couple more friends and acquaintances who were starting a local mother's support group. Now this group has become one of the most important things in my life. With a tiny baby and a brain that worked against me most of the time, I was able to use this group first for the support and the safe place to vent and express myself 
and share the darkest thoughts that I could come up with without judgment. It's also where I got the moniker, Tracy says things. <laughs> if you've ever heard a new mom say out loud some of the intrusive thoughts that she gets, you would be terrified for her, for her baby, for her family, for the world. But the thing about intrusive thoughts is that they're uncontrollable and you have them without warning, without wanting them. And most women are going to have them, but because they're so horrible, you keep them a secret. In this group, women are able to express those thoughts and no one judges. You get the nod of understanding, a small smile shared, a sympathetic, hey, me too. Not one person has been shamed for feelings they can't control. It was, and you know, that group still is a safe place to have a moment. I've been so fucking blessed to have been helped. And now I get to be the one helping moms through the struggle of motherhood. This village that I'm helping build is one that I am so extremely proud of. And this village will be an episode of its own another day. Trust me. So with these women, this village by my side, I began to better myself. 18 months later, I finally felt ready to take the next step in my mental health journey. Oh, fuck. And I hate telling people this next part, mostly because, fuck, I hate. It just sounds so hippie fucking dippy. And I am a person who believes in logic and science. But I also read my horoscope, so... LOL. <laughs> I believe that when you put forth a really good effort and you make hard choices and you work on doing your work, whatever that is, losing weight, bettering your station, learning a new skill, making better choices, whatever, I believe that the universe rewards that effort. So I made some hard fucking choices. I took the steps to end my marriage and begin co-parenting with my ex. And I started living on my own, on my not-for-profit youth organization wage, which was barely above minimum. I worked hard to do right by my kids. And then, boom. <laughs> Within a couple of months, the universe rewards me. A brand new job literally fell into my lap. It came with a really big pay increase. So I wouldn't have to struggle so hard and I wouldn't have to make sacrifices financially the way I was. And then moments later, I was in a position where I was in the right place at the right time and I connected with a man who I'd been friends with and attracted to forever. <laughs> but he and I felt a spark that weekend and we began to date so all of this is going on and I'm thinking, oh, time to wean myself off the meds. Probably not the best idea because within weeks of not taking them, I start having dark thoughts again. But you know, I can squish them away because my life is really pretty good. And why am I complaining about things? And why am I getting so anxious? And what's wrong with me that I'm not sleeping at night and staying up and worrying about anything and everything? And enter 2020. The pandemic hits in March. And by May, I am so deep and so dark in a hole that I am ready to end it all again. I agree to go back on medications after having a really good cry and being held by a partner who told me that I wasn't weak for needing to be medicated. He knows that this is the crazy he signed up for and he loves all of it, all of me. <laughs> Only now, <laughs> recently, am I able to actually call myself crazy it used to be the dirty C word. I would be called crazy as an insult. I was told that I was fucking crazy and that a judge would never let kids live with me because of it. Crazy was a dirty word. Crazy was a bad thing. My anxiety and my depression, my mental state were used against me. It 
wasn't a total gaslighting, but when I was down, it sure was easy to convince me of my unworthiness. And fuck, I mean, why would I believe the words of an inebriated person over the voice in my own head? Because, well, when you're put down enough, you start to believe it. And when it comes from all different sources for 20 years, I mean, it takes a while to believe your own voice again. So now there are days where I apologize to my fiance (laughs) so many times that he grabs me by the shoulders and he looks me in the eyes and he tells me to stop. I don't have to apologize for my brain chemistry. There's nothing to apologize for. It would be like apologizing for having a bad kidney or wearing glasses to correct your vision. Apologizing for my mood disorder is just wrong. And I mean, I wasn't ready for that kind of unconditional love. I apologized for apologizing. It took me a while to get used to it. So pretty much brings us to today. I'm now on three different medications, two antidepressants, one antipsychotic, and I have no desire to quit taking them. I've learned that these are just going to be a part of my life, and I'm okay with it. I would rather take meds and be an amazing human being than stop taking them and not be here at all. So I mentioned before, like I've written in a journal, we've been reading out of them (laughs) since I was 11. And I went through those journals a few years ago before I left my husband and started making notes, started taking note of where I was and what I was doing and how I got there. And then I decided to burn them. So these ashes, all of those memories are scattered at a place called Kantakaya. It's a camp on Lake Diefenbaker. It was truly a happy place for me as a child and as an adult. And I uh, went out there to have a bit of a ritual burning. I said both goodbye to the camp and said goodbye to old Tracy. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) There was still some old Tracy there because that property had actually been sold and the camp was closed and I was totally trespassing. But (laughs) I drove to the fence, climbed over it, and walked to the beach. (laughs) As I had reread all those pages, You know, starting with the dreams that I had and the crushes that crushed me and the friends that I made and then fought with and then got back together with and then fought with again (laughs) through the brightest parts and the darkest periods in my life. Those memories were all there. And you know what? Some of them were memories I didn't want anymore. I didn't need them. I realized that my life was a series of half-assed attempts to make myself happy, to make myself better, But it was because I really started doing work and truly tried to make things better that it got better. The last thing that I'm going to leave you with today, since I just looked at the clock and realized this is taking way too fucking long. I've probably put some of you to sleep. Mental health is a legitimate medical issue. There's no reason to have shame if you need help ever. If you can feel better just by talking about it, that's awesome. If you need to take medication or you even need to be hospitalized for treatment, that's totally reasonable. There's no reason to feel badly for having a weird brain. Because of my roller coaster experience with mental wellness, I'm also here to tell you that if you ever need to talk to someone, if you need to vent to a non judgmental space, If you just want to be heard and acknowledged because everyone has a voice 
and deserves to be heard. You can write to me at the pod email, tracysaysthings at gmail.com, or Instagram, send me a DM. Or if you're lucky enough to know my phone number, you can call or text anytime. I've been the one who had to reach out, and I was lucky enough to have the right people around me who answered the call. I survived because of these people. My kids survived because of these people. You can survive too. I was recently in a course with some other ladies about finding your voice, and I was given a mantra at one of the sessions. And I actually wrote it on a post-it note and stuck it on the board right in front of where I sit at work. It says, you are enough and you need to keep believing in the positive. You are enough and you need to keep believing in the positive. That sentence helped me get through some shit here as this pandemic continues. So if it can help you, use it. You are enough. Remember that. Thank you for listening. This was Tracy Says Things, a podcast brought to you by Anchor Media. Produced terribly by Tracy. If you would like to volunteer your production skills or offer feedback, contact us at tracysaysthings at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at tracysaysthings.com.